Well, good morning, everyone. Again, we are here in James chapter 4 as we continue to work our way through this great and practical book. Um, Remember, James is not saying that you get to heaven by your works. He's assuming that you've already heard from Paul and and the rest that talk about uh, salvation by by grace through faith and the importance of that, that you can't get away from that. What he is talking about is if you say that you have this faith in Christ, let's see some action, okay? Let's see it put to work in very practical ways. Now, I'm going to make an excuse even before I begin. All week we were working on Acts in the first chapter, and then we, Dan said we got in the early morning. That doesn't quite sum it up, but uh, uh, our angel over here, uh, Brian, he drove to Atlanta in uh, late at night to pick us all up because our flight was late and the other flight was canceled. And then um, he drove us all the way home with via Scottsboro to drop off Keith. So we had 2 o'clock, you know, uh, at home, you know. So if I wander into other verses, don't worry about it, okay? Just, it's all, it'll be a fine. So if you're able, would you stand with me as I read God's word? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit down upon us. Open our eyes and our hearts. Make us attentive to what it has to say. That we may live lives that are pleasing to you that we may take this great gift of faith that you've implanted into our hearts and use it so others can see it and hear it, that you too may change their hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, uh, and we'll be highlighting a couple verses in particular. So verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And really, I'm sorry, verses 1 to 3 is a, is a continuation of the end of chapter 3, okay, in, in the dealing with wisdom. So what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. What is the secret to a happy life? Stuff, 
He who dies with the most toys wins. You ever see that bumper sticker? Mm-hmm. Good health. You're going to die sometime. A happy wife. That's the key to a happy life. Okay? You've heard that. Happy wife, happy life. So I said, i got to find out where this started. Okay? So I looked it up. It comes from a poem, 1903, published in a British kind of a socialist workers newspaper called the work and wages party i'm a work and wages party man i say that's what i am you'll find me true and hearty man for that is what i am now let's rejoice to end the strife with all the kids in clover a happy wife a happy life and a jolly good turnover i didn't know the tune you know it's probably it's probably to a drinking song. Uh, it could be my guess, okay? That's it. But that, as good as that is, that is not the secret to a happy life. It's not the secret to happiness because James tells us the secret to happiness and a happy life is humility. Now, how many of you really thought that was the secret? Well, if you've read James, you might have, but that's, that's not the first thing that comes to our mind or our tongue. Man, if I could just be more humble, I would be happier. You know, the ancient Greeks, in fact, had no word for humility because humility to them was was one of the worst things that you could have. They were very proud. They're proud of what they accomplished, what they did, proud of everything. As I said, no word for humble. So, you know, in places that the gospel is going, this is a foreign concept, a foreign concept concept Um, but there it is humility the secret to a happy life so last week we looked at the differences from what we called earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom and as i said the first three verses here are really a a kind of a continuation of chapter three now the chapter differentiations uh, come later james did not write in chapters Um, but they come because it makes it easier for us as well as the verses uh, to find things and to look things up like that. So this is one long letter, and uh, whoever in their wisdom put that separation there um, didn't consult with me, obviously. Uh, so, So, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay, so that's the peace portion. Well, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? And then James is asking rhetorical questions here because he knows the answer. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your passions are at war within you. Now, there are quarrels and confrontations in this church. Now, if we look back to Acts chapter 4, we can see that in the early church, especially in Jerusalem, because after Pentecost, you know, all these people would come to the Passover celebration come and, and then... The Holy Spirit comes upon um, those who were there. Peter preaches a sermon. 3,000 are added that day. And and over the course of two weeks, the church expands to 5,000 people. And suddenly, they're not going home. I mean, some of them are going home, but they're not all going home. They want to stay and be a part of the growing church there in Jerusalem. Um, The only problem is they've got no place to stay, and they've got no job and they have to be fed, and they have to do all those types of things. So what does the church do? church makes room for them. In fact, they have what's called, uh, they, they willingly give of what they had to meet the needs of others. Okay, 
Acts says it had all things in common because they gave it. They wanted to benefit other believers. So all this, and, and there's this closeness there and this sharing, but apparently to the church that James is writing to, this is not so much. They're quarreling, they're arguing back and forth. There are fights among them. Why? Because they're passions within. They had not conquered those passions. They didn't know what to do with those passions. And so they're letting them out. Church is expanding. Uh, You know, it takes a while to figure these things out. So that's what they're doing here. Um, But these quarrels and fights are outgrowths of earthly wisdom. They're not outgrowths of heavenly wisdom. They're outgrowth of earthly wisdom because of the passions that are at war within this crowd and so often the passions that are at war within us, the passions that disagree. Um, Now, those passions, I've got things I'm passionate about, you've got things you're passionate about. We come to a meeting and we go, no, no, we need to do this. No, no, we need to do this. Well, in, in Christian love, you know, we seek to find out what it is that we should do. What's the best use of our time, our material, the things that we're stewards over. Um, I don't think they particularly cared here was, was what the others cared about. That's what I'm getting here from what James writes. So when the church quarrels, we look just like the rest of the world. Okay, When the church participates in things like calling each other names or gossiping about one another or when we're angry with one another, even if we claim it's in the name of Jesus, it's just like the world. We look just like the world. Um, and so James is, is, has dealt with this, especially in chapter 3, about taming the tongue. Before you let loose of that word, especially to a Christian brother or sister, make sure it is a kind word, an encouraging word. It is a true word. Um, don't spout off. Just say, oh, you're full of beans. I just came back from the DR. I am full of beans, okay? But that's, not, that's a different thing. But, but you're just full of beans. You're way off. No, no. You, you want to be kind and direct and encourage one another and let the Lord work in our lives. So that's why James has dealt with the importance of, like, taming the tongue, loving our neighbors, and now we come to the importance of asking the Lord in the right way for the right things. I could ask the Lord for a lot of things, okay? Odds are I'm not going to get them because they're the things that, you know, I think this will make me happy. Okay, and happiness is different than joy. Joy comes through the presence of Christ in our life. It can never be taken. It underlies everything that we are, everything that we do. Happiness, puppies make you happy till the stain on the carpet won't come out. Okay, until you only have one shoe. Okay, because where's the other one? Mm, you know where it is. Okay, that's different. And the passions here are things about what makes them happy. They are temporal. They fade very quickly. Satan loves us to be involved and excited about our passions that are worldly. Not our godly passions, but our worldly passions. And technically, the word for passions or desire here is a worldly pleasure that is contrary to the expressed will of God. That's what we're talking about here. Mark chapter 4, verse 19 says, But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things, enter in and choke the world, the word, and it proves unfruitful. It's the parable of the sower. Okay? The seed hits the ground, there's a little bit of dirt, it grows up, but the thorns come and choke it out. That's the cares of the world, the desires of the world. 
Okay, as we see, well, I've got to die to myself each day if I'm going to live the Christian life. And the world says, no, no, no. Why don't you live? Look at what you can live for. Look what you can live with. So much out there for you to have. And the gospel's over here telling me something different. And if I'm not careful, I will be, the gospel will be choked out by the things of the world. So it's not inherently wrong to want something. Okay. It's not inherently wrong to ask the Lord for something. Okay. He may provide it in a supernatural fashion. He may provide it through friends or family. He may provide it through the, the sweat of our brow or something like that. But James says we don't have because we don't ask. And this, this calls us implicitly to seek what God will have us ask for. Okay. If you pray in my name, God will give it to you. Lord, uh, if I could only have four more hours of sleep today, somewhere, okay? No, that's, this is not going to happen, okay? But the, the caveat there is in accordance with his will. And our job in our prayers is to make sure from our study of the word, from our time in worship, from our interaction with other believers, to figure out what his will is and then to pray for it. We know some easy things. It is the will of the Lord that... People around us hear the gospel. That's an easy one. It is the will of the Lord that people go out into all the world taking the gospel. It is the will of the Lord that we care for one another. You see somebody uh, who doesn't have a, a shirt, give them your coat too. I mean, those things are all from the word. Okay, somebody asks you to go to one mile, go two with them. You see a brother in need and, and only say, Lord bless you, you're not doing God's will. You're not so it's, no, it's not bad to ask the Lord for th- things that we like, that we desire. The real danger is when those things become idols in our lives. Okay. When those things, the Lord may provide us something and, and it is great. You know, Lord, I would love to have, um, well, I'll just tell you something from, from when I, I served in Wilmington. Um, gave us a boat Okay, somebody gave us a boat, 52-footer, slept eight, had three heads, heads, bathrooms, uh, two big Detroit diesels. I mean, the thing was gorgeous. And it's like, okay, Lord, what are we going to do with this? And, and you know, we get great ministry and, and to do with a boat. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't a boat person. Um, we sold it. Okay, that was great ministry because we got rid of it. Okay, and we were glad to get rid of it um, because we didn't want the church to have to put resources into it that should have gone into other ministries. $450 a month, this would have been $19.95 for a slip fee. So that tells you it's 52 feet. I mean, that's a big honking boat. Over $400 a month, and we were kind of tight, so we really didn't want to pay that slip fee very long because that money should have been going to other ministries, not to the boat. So we were very glad to get rid of it. and the guy was glad to buy it. What's the happiest two days of a boater's life? They gets it and gay gets rid of it. Okay? Um, so we were glad. So the warning here that he talks about in making it an idol, whatever you're asking for, is the covetousness. Remember last week, the envy, the covetousness, the jealousy, the selfish ambition. I'm asking for something from the Lord because I want it. Okay? Because I think it's going to make me happy happy 
Consider the things you ask for because the question is, will they make you happy? Will they add to your joy? Joy is in Christ. Happiness is a, is a temporary thing. And the danger is we get so fixated on those things that we begin to pursue pleasure and not the Lord. Okay, There's nothing wrong with pleasure. I'm, I'm not opposed to it. I just, just have to remember that I don't make it my idol. That's what James is talking about here. Um, so James sounds like one of the Old Testament prophets here. When verse 4, if you've got your, your Bible there or the, the folder, you can say, you adulterous people. Now, we hardly ever see that in the New Testament, but we see it a lot in the Old Testament. Uh, in the Old Testament, Israel was seen as God's wife. That's is portrayed in a variety of places. In the New Testament, we see Christ is the groom and the church is the bride. So this marriage image imagery really goes throughout Scripture. But when he says they're adulterous, there's, there's no evidence that we find in, in James or the people that he's writing to that they were... Um, that there was a lot of sexual sin going on. We don't see that. So what does it mean, adulterous people? They were idolatrous. Now, it says adulterous because he's equating this moving away from the one that they should love and seeking out another, probably dealing with their passions and what they want. Um, So he calls them adulterous, adulterous people. We see this in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Ezekiel, a spiritual adultery, a spiritual adultery. Um, It took the hearts of the people away from Christ so that they loved another. Okay, And what took their hearts away? Friendship with the world. Friendship with the world. That's what took them away. You think, what is the friendship with the world? Well, Quoting here from a commentary, fundamental compromise with the values and methods of fallen humanity. I love the world. I love the world the way it works. I know the way that the world works is often contrary to the way God says that we should do things. But, you know, I really like that. I think we can use that to further the gospel. Well, there are things in the world we can use to further the gospel. But the most important things to further the gospel are the things that the gospel says will further the gospel the true preaching, the love that we show to those around us. Friendship with the world. The more you love the world, the less you will love God. But the more you show God's love to the world really means you do love the world in a good and positive way. If you're showing the love of Christ to the non-believer around you, you are loving them. But if you just love the things of the world, if that's where your passion, your heart is, then you can't love God at the same time. You can't serve two masters. Remember that. In fact, James calls those people who try to do that double-minded. Double-minded. So the world is the one that James's audience is committing adultery with. The world in this context would be the values, the loves, um, Deeds that are wholly at odds with what the gospel says is right. First John chapter 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is doing what? It's passing away 
along with its desires, but ever, whoever does the will of God abides forever, lives in Christ forever. So James's audience is actually betraying Christ and following the world. They're embracing the things of the world, and they're not living it. Remember, James is practical. He wants them to live it. They're embracing forms of ungodly speech, jealousy, selfish ambition, as we see, envy, covetousness. Um, These are all things, examples that they loved more so than the Savior, more so than the Savior. Friendship with the world, you're living as if you're not accountable to the Lord anymore. You're putting the priorities of the world as the one, as the things that are going to hold you accountable. First John chapter 2. Again, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you love the world more than God, you don't love God at all. That's what he's saying. You can't love the world, you can't love God at the same time. You pursue what you love, and if that's God then you'll have joy in that pursuit. If you pursue what you love and it's the world, you'll have temporary happiness and not the eternal joy that comes in Christ. So loving the world, being friends with the world, puts you in the same category that we've seen before. God haters, uh, if anyone loves the world, they don't love the Father. So that's pretty straightforward. So sin brings the happiness, sin, ne- sin, sorry, sin never brings the happiness that really satisfies our souls, okay? Joy in Christ brings that. And James tells us that God gives grace to the humble, so humility is the secret to a happy life. But humility is not being milk toast, okay? You know, I always thought that was milk M-I-L-K, toast, T-O-A-S-T, but it's not that. You know, the, the computer corrects me. I'm, I'm grateful. It's uh, M-I-L-Q-U-E, toast, okay? Just for your edification. I mean, your computer will say the same thing, I'm sure. But it's not being milk toast. It's not being a doormat for the world. Uh, remember what we found, me- meekness is power under control, okay? Humility is the same thing. Here you have this great store behind you of all this power that comes in Christ, all this authority. You have the Holy Spirit within you, but you're living humble. You're living humbly because you know the power that comes only in Christ. Okay, What's a happy life? Is it the state of inner delight? Is it blessedness? Is it contentment? Is it a heart? No, it's a heart where there is no room for greed or covetousness. Okay, when you are alone in the presence of God and you take great joy there, when you're in the sweetness of the fellowship of the body of believers, when you know your sins have been forgiven, when you know the power that indwells within you and you are able to live humbly and to serve and to care and you don't particularly care if anybody knows your name, you know, you don't particularly care if they remember you, you care if they remember Jesus Christ. That's what you care about. Then I find a happiness and a joy that can never be taken from me. The humble person is one who fears whom? God. And that's also the wise person as well. So the opposite of humility is the earthly wisdom, the arrogance that we saw last week. Um, What those things are, 
you know, the arrogance to presume that I know better than God. Well, that's a, that's a dangerous thing. John Knox, great Scottish reformer, said, A man with God on his side is always the majority. The man who meets God as an enemy stands alone. Okay. There's, a, there's an old Christian song by the Imperials, God and I make a majority. Okay. If you're old enough to remember the Imperials. All right. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So by definition, grace is something you can't earn. It is given to us. So do you want more grace? What should you strive for? More humility. You should strive for the knowledge of God's word and what he calls us to do. So to do that, we have to look at verse 7. Nobody's going to like verse 7. Submit yourself. Now, I, a lot of us, it's not the American way. We lead. We get out front. Man, we're in charge. No, you submit yourself. And this is a voluntary. God is not going to come down and put you under his thumb. He wants you to understand the best place for you to be is within his will. And to be within his will and to walk in accordance, in accordance with his word, you must submit yourself to it. You must read it, and when you read it and you see, you say, I don't particularly like that. That is not my personality, but that's what it says I need to do and how I need to treat others and the way that I need to think. And I'm going to submit myself to it. It is there that I will find grace. It is there that I will find the perfect things of the Lord. If you're blinded by pride, you're going to have trouble with this. Okay, Submission requires us to, to get that pride out of our lives, to voluntary to voluntarily place ourselves under the authority of our Heavenly Father. You know, in case you didn't know, he has all power. He has all authority. He can do whatever he wants, and he wants you to submit to him. Because he already knows what you're thinking. He already knows your loves and your passions. He wants you to know them and to put them under his control, under his control. Now, when we're obedient to the Lord, Satan doesn't particularly get excited about that, so he seeks to interfere, hence resist the devil. Now, we, were in, uh, we got a crash course on the history of the Dominican Republic. Our, our translator, Franklin, um, uh, he was talking about something else, and then he said, so I have to give you a history of the Dominican Republic. Well, I'm not going to give you the history, but all you have to do is look at a picture of the entire island, the Dominican over here, Haiti over here, from, from the air. The Dominican is green and lush. Haiti is brown and barren. Okay? And, and there's, uh, I've been to Haiti. There's a lot of voodoo. There's a lot of satanic things going on there. If you look at the flag of the Dominican Republic, it's red, white, and blue, not because they love America, because they have different things meanings for that but most importantly in the middle of their flag get this there's a cross and there's an open bible do you remember the verse that it's open to the truth will set you free john 6 36 okay in their flag i mean can you imagine the outcry in the united states that was on our flag oh man this is not a christian nation the dominicans proudly say we were founded on these things and that's why we are not like haiti Haiti's a hole. And when it, the earthquake came, it just filled in a lot of the hole. I mean, I'm just telling you the way it is. Dominican, 
is flourishing relative to that part of the world, Haiti is sinking further and further away. So we have to resist the devil, Ephesians 5, put on the armor of God. He's going to be shooting those flaming arrows at us. We have to be ready. So we have to draw near to God. And if we draw near to God, what happens? He draws near to us. You want more grace? Seek him. You want more grace? Submit to him. Humble yourselves before him. He will exalt you. So you can't achieve this, as James says, if you're double-minded, if you're a hearer but not a doer. You've got to be a doer of the word. If you favor the rich over the poor, if you misuse your tongue, submission demonstrates the humility that we have to possess if we're going to receive God's grace, if we're going to go grow in that grace. Earthly wisdom, covetousness, envy, favoritism, pride, not attempting to control our tongues, uh, holding our, the priorities and attitudes of the world, those things will only feed our pride and take us further away from where we need to be. And you may think, oh, but, you know, I see happiness over here. That's right, you see happiness over here. And that happiness can be taken away in a heartbeat. I see joy over here that can never be taken away because it is given to me by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father has drawn us into this relationship. He will never let us go. So you want to be happy? Humble yourselves. Because remember, what, what does your sin deserve? Let's pick on me. What does my sin reserve? An eternity of punishment. So if somebody comes up to you today and calls you a wretched toad, that my Sunday school class knows what I'm talking about, rejoice, okay? Because that's what we are. We are wretched toads, unworthy, but Christ loves us. Why? It is his good pleasure and his perfect will to do so. He gave his life for wretched toads like us. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what a great gift you have given to us. The salvation that comes in Christ. We, we are wretched. We don't, we don't deserve this, but yet you give it to us. You call us. You draw us into a relationship with you, Lord. And, and, and there is no sitting on the fence on this one. There is no, I'm almost persuaded. To be almost persuaded is to be almost pardoned, but yet you're hanged, as Charles Spurgeon would say be almost persuaded that Christ's life is is right is like the man who was almost rescued but burned up in his house it's a terrible thing to be so close to Christ to hear it to, to see it in the lives of others but to only be almost persuaded Lord grab a hold of our hearts today that there would not be a single doubt that before you we need to come humbly, relying upon the work of Jesus Christ as he gave his life for us on the cross, that has paid the debt of our sin that, that we could never pay, we could never be perfect, but only Christ was. And he looks at us, these wretched toads, and says, I'm going to make you worthy. I'm going to love you and you're going to be mine for all eternity. Fix this in our hearts, Lord. 
That is the basis of our joy. That is the basis for our happiness. That is the basis for all we think and do and say. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand as we sing together hymn 473, Just a Closer Walk with Thee. <laughs> 